Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Thanks, JJ. So we are going to be concluding our series on prophetic imagination today, and then we'll be starting a new series called Original Blessing next weekend and be looking at Genesis 1 and 2. And if any of you have ever read the book Original Blessing by Matthew Fox, I would, uh, I, this is this, a couple of thoughts that I'm using out of that book. But if you haven't, I encourage you to read it. Matthew Fox, Original Blessing. So prophetic imagination, we've been talking about how the prophets had a vision for this world, call that prophetic imagination, the Hebrew prophets. And one part of that was a world free from idolatry and addiction. And then a second part of that is a world free from injustice. And when the prophets, the Hebrew prophets, used the word justice, the Hebrew word is mishpat, almost all the time they're talking about how we treat, how we show solidarity, and how we advocate for the most vulnerable. So that's been a big thrust, is this idea of how we treat the most vulnerable. God is always on the side of the poor and the marginalized and the outcast and the misfit. And so as a community of Jesus followers, we're constantly walking in love and inclusion and embrace of the other. I wanted to end this series with the concept of restorative justice. Because when Americans think about justice, most of the time they're thinking about crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. That's actually a pretty thin part of the Hebrew concept of justice. It's more about freedom from idolatry and from addiction and from injustice. But if we think about crime and punishment, what, what's the heart of God when it comes to harm and hurt, when families are hurt, when individuals are hurt, when we hurt somebody, when somebody hurts us, when there may be a crime inflicted upon us or a crime inflicted upon somebody else and it affects our family. What about the family structures? And so when we think about restorative justice, we're going to think about a little bit of a new lens on this topic of justice as it relates to crime, punishment, hurt, harm that's done, human being to human being. And so two thoughts. One of the first reconciliation scenes in the Bible is in the Torah at the end of Genesis. Remember where Joseph is basically a victim, left for dead, and uh, survives, rises to the height of Egyptian power. And he is the victim, but he, in a place of power, instigates 
a scene of reconciliation with the family where he could have just punished them and gotten revenge on them. Instead, he takes a path of reconciliation. Jesus, if you think about it, if you come to a place of worship and you remember you have somebody that has something against you or maybe you've hurt somebody or harmed somebody, what did he say to do? Uh, actually, hold on, hit pause, wait a moment. Go back and reconcile and then come and place your offering. So it seems like Jesus placed a high priority on reconciliation, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, forgiveness, rest, restoration. So I want to introduce to you uh, a guest that's here with us today, Greg Winship. And we're going to do a little dialogue about restorative justice. And he, uh, I, I would call you an expert in this field, Greg. I don't know if you'd walk around calling yourself that, but you certainly qualify for it. And uh, Greg is the a key strategist for the Center for Conflict Resolution here in Kansas City. One of my dear friends is now, the, I think, the chairwoman for Center for Conflict Resolution. It's an organization that's been in existence about 20 years, and they're doing amazing work in this city in the area of restorative justice. So let's welcome Greg up here. Come on up, Greg. Restorative justice strategist for the Center for Conflict Resolution. How would you like to spend your life resolving conflicts? How's that? All right. Greg, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Let's, uh, let's first have you introduce just the concept of restorative justice. I ran across it in a book a few years ago, kind of chased it down. But you've got degrees in this, and you've practiced this and lived with it for a long time. What's restorative justice all about? Sure. Um, let's start with the textbook definition, right? <laughs> so Howard Zare, who's considered kind of the grandfather of restorative justice because he introduced the first uh, restorative practices in the United States in the 1970s and um, coined the phrase, Albert English kind of coined the phrase restorative justice, but Howard borrowed that. Um, and he says restorative justice, this is textbook, but it is a process to involve, to the extent possible, those that have a stake in a specific offense, and then to collectively identify and address harms, needs, and obligations in order to heal and to put things as right as possible. So let's, let's break that down a little bit. Um, he says basically that, that harms... Uh, hurt people hurt people, right? And so when people are hurt, they create, harms create needs, needs create obligations by someone to fulfill those needs. Um, and the way that we do that is through some type of engagement. Our current criminal justice system or our legal system often separates people and doesn't allow them to engage in that process. And so uh, the idea of restorative justice is to, to bring people together when and where possible to be able to repair harms to build community, to um, put things as right as possible, which Howard, by the way, um, got from his Mennonite background um, and took it from uh, an Old Testament concept that you were talking about, about justice, meaning um, to make things right or to put things as right as possible. Not everything can be undone. Not everything can be made right. Um, and so it's, it's making things as right as possible and restoring those relationships as well as, as possible. All right. And give us just, that's one part of the history of it. It's interesting that the Bible <laughs> has a rich history in the concept of restorative justice. 
What, what are some other areas? Howard's kind of the modern pioneer of that concept, but there's some history to it beyond even the Bible, right? Sure. So um, another definition by a, a person called David Ryan, David Ryan Barcigo Castro Harris, who uh, has a, an organization called Amplify RJ, um, has a second definition. I'm going to read part of this. He says, restorative justice is a philosophy and a set of practices rooted in indigenous teachings that emphasize our interconnectedness by repairing relationships where harm has occurred. He emphasizes that, and so does Howard, that this, this concept of restorative justice comes from uh, a communal justice, a societal justice, uh, a tribal justice, if you will, that's been found in the First Nations tribes in Canada, the Native Americans in the, in the United States, tribes in Africa that practice a social justice. The Maori tribe in New Zealand actually has a juvenile justice system that is based solely on restorative practices and then reverts to a criminal proceeding only if that doesn't work. So this is found in many different ways in many different places that emphasizes this interconnection between people and this, um, this idea of repairing the harm and staying in community rather than separating people and banishing them to a prison, a jail, another country, mm-hmm. um, and never uh, healing those relationships. Healing is a large part of the restorative piece of restorative justice. And I like the definition of restore. Some people, some people would argue, let's not restore people to where they were prior to the, the harm or the crime because that may not be the best place for them to go. That's what got them into this problem, right? I like the definition of restore that says to make, make new again, to, make, make, uh, to bring to life again. Kind of like you restore a table or restore um, an old antique, you're bringing it back to life. You're refurbishing it into a new life in that sense. So giving someone a new life and being able to um, start over again and repair the, the harm that they mm-hmm. done. Excellent. So when harm is done from one human being to another, it could be at your workplace, it could be in your family, it could be in a school setting, it could be, uh, it, it could be in a larger context of the community that you live in. Harm's done to an individual and it can affect family systems. And then punishing and getting revenge isn't, isn't like healing the wound, right? It doesn't heal the wound. And so I was thinking, uh, I, I had a friend whose two young boy and girl got in a fight, and the girl took something out of his room. And then he retaliated by ripping the head of her Barbie doll off. It really, really contextually appropriate right now, right? For <laughs> Americans have gone nuts over Barbie now, right? And this kid rips the head off. And, uh, and then the family gets a little mediation between the kids and they talk it through. And she says, I'm sorry, I didn't ask you if I'd go in your room. He says, she says, that was my favorite Barbie. And he says, oh, I didn't know it was your favorite Barbie. I have her head in my room, you know? So then they, <laughs> they make up and reconcile and, uh, you know, simple little family story, but this, you, you're playing this out not just in families, but in school context, in prison context, and in criminal setting, you know. Talk about some of the practice. What are some of the things you've seen in this sure. practice? I'm, I'm gonna start with the family example, <laughs> because it's a perfect example in um, that 
we've all had that happen probably in our <laughs> lives, right? In, in some form or another, maybe it wasn't a Barbie doll, but something happened. And I want to emphasize a couple of different things. First, the person who was harmed initially then hurt somebody else, right? So hurt people hurt people. Um, and the idea behind restorative justice in, in my mind is that we heal those people who have been hurt. So it's almost anti antithetical to, to what we're trying to, to say in our society that hurt people need to be punished further. In our society, we hurt people who have hurt people to teach them not to hurt people. That doesn't make any sense to me, right? All that does is teach them that hurting other people is okay. And that that's the way that we, we punish people is by hurting other people. So if you can do that to me, then I can do that back to you. Um, restorative justice says we need to heal people who have been hurt. And if we heal people that have been hurt, then they're no longer hurt and they don't have to hurt other people. We also need to heal people that have been harmed, that have been victims, so to speak. So uh, you usually won't hear me use the terms victim and offender, but the person who has caused harm, the, the offender, um, needs to be healed just as much as the person who's been harmed, the victim, in both, in both cases. So we do this in a number of ways. Um, at, at the Center for Conflict Resolution, we work in three main areas, the community at large, schools, and with justice-involved individuals. Um, and so with the community, we are working with prosecutor's office in Jackson County in, in the uh, municipal courts to be able to say, let's divert cases out of the criminal justice system and be able to um, bring them into our office to do this restorative process. Two things have to happen in order for that to happen. One is that uh, the prosecutor right now decides which cases come to our office, but the person who has caused the harm has to be willing to make amends. So instead of in a criminal justice setting, I'm saying um, you have to prove what, I, what I've done. Uh, anything I say can and will be used against me in a criminal court of law, right? So why would I say anything? I'm gonna make the prosecutor prove what I did, and if the jury finds me guilty, then so be it. If I get a good defense attorney that can get me off, then I can get out of this, right? And so in a restorative setting, we say anything that can be used, uh, anything you say can and will be used for you, to help you. Why are you hurting and why are you harmed and how can we help you? Tell us your story, tell us what's going on for you, tell us why the harm occurred, tell us how we can heal you, and let's look at it that way. And let's see how you can repair the harm that you've already done to somebody else. The second point is that the person who's been harmed can't be put in a place where they've been re-victimized or re-harmed. We don't want to cause more harm in that situation, right? And so those two things have to occur. Accountability on the part of the person who caused the harm and no more re-victimization, no more harm to the person who's been harmed. If that can happen, then we, we talk to both parties, find out where they're coming from, and then eventually at some time bring them together. That's where the healing occurs. One person gets to tell their story about what happened to them. The other person gets to say why they did that and what happened to them, what was going on in their life. And there's some healing that can, can occur, a validation piece that occurs. Um, and then members of the community meet with them also to be able to say, how do we repair this harm? How can we help you repair this harm? Um, what can be done to restore um, each of you into a, a, a safe place, a place where you're healed? What can we, we be done to restore the community? Because both of you are neighbors or brothers and sisters or, or community members that are gonna go back and see each other again. How do we do that? And so we literally do that process um, with prosecutor's offices in the community. 
We take that into schools also, right? Mm -hmm. And use those same concepts to be able to say, um, instead of suspending a student um, when a harm occurs um, and letting them sit out for 10 days, where oftentimes they'll sit at home and play video games or, or um, have, have a good time while they're not in school, nothing is really done to repair the harm between the two people that have been harmed. And so they just bring them back from the suspension, throw them right back in the same classes and, and move forward. Um, restorative practices say, let's meet with the person beforehand and even after. If a suspension is necessary, um, where a separation, a time of separation is needed so that more harm doesn't occur, let's use that, but let's use that in a way, uh, a time to be able to rebuild, to be able to look at the harm that's been done. And then before they come back, we will um, hold a process that brings both of them together to talk about what was done, to see how to repair that harm, to see how to move forward so that this doesn't continue in the future. Mm. And we do that in prisons also. Yeah, so you think about trauma that may have been inflicted, but you also think about maybe the person who inflicted the trauma has a whole setting of trauma themselves. You're digging into the stories of trauma. You're beginning to hear and understand different perspectives than just being hurt, wounded, offended, and wanting revenge or punishment or retaliation. As you're, you're mediating these, these, these uh, conversations and storytelling, ultimately the person who's done harm needs to take responsibility, ask forgiveness in the recovery world we call making amends. But this is a community process where multiple voices are, even the, uh, even the people who have been harmed, their voices are heard. The person who's done the harming, that person's story is heard. Ultimately, we're leading toward what? Forgiveness, restoration, and even restitution where possible. So Howard Zier would say, even though he has a Mennonite background, he would say, Restorative justice is not primarily focused on forgiveness, although it can come out, out of that. Mm -hmm. But it's focused on reconciling. It's focused on being able to, um, to bring people back together and, and restore relationships and build community. Um, in, in that process of harm occurring um, and uh, people who have been harmed or people who have caused harm, there are community members who... In Howard's definition, he says people who have a stake in that offense. So it might be the person who has caused harm, their family members could be a part of that also. The person who has been harmed, family members might be a part of that. If I had, had um, stolen from your house, if I had burglarized your house, um, then other members in your community might be stakeholders because they might be wondering if I'm gonna come back and, and rob their house, right? Um, and so, um, anybody that has a stake and a vested interest, so to speak, in that offense can be a part of this solution. So it's not a judge or a prosecutor or a defense attorney arguing on your behalf um, to be able to solve this problem or a prosecutor offering a plea deal that they've created to be able to solve this problem. But it's the people that are involved that, that get a role in being able to say, how can I how can I repair this harm? How can I correct this mistake? How can I, I reconcile with these people so that we can move forward from here without the harm and the baggage that, that has okay. been inflicted? Give us one of your favorite stories where this, where this really worked. Well, we, we're going to do one quick one, and then, I, then, then we want to get to yours okay. as well. So um, one of my favorite ones from school is, is a girl that had sat through some of our classes that we do. We go in and train. Um, right now we're in the uh, Kansas City public school system training every um, 
school teacher, administrator, a staff person in the, in the district, um, as well as uh, training students in, the, in those districts. And one girl from the, the trainings, after she had had the trainings, we were asking, what did you learn out of this? What did you get out of this? And her answer was just profound to me. She said, I learned how to use my words instead of my fists to solve conflict. Um, and I thought that um, really sums up what we're trying to do, right? Um, the number one known motive for murder in Kansas City is not gangs or drugs or, or uh, competition, those types of things. It's arguments. It's people that don't know how to resolve a conflict without picking up a gun and, and shooting at somebody. And so being able to, to change from a physical, using fists, using a gun, to be able to say, hey, I can use my words and I can talk about this and we can dialogue um, so that we can be in relationship later on um, was huge, I think. Yeah, and I think Kansas City, Missouri is on track for a record-breaking year on homicides. Like we're talking like how many already? Some Last count, it was 121, I believe, Yeah, counting. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, this is like beginning in August now, right? So, and a lot of times these are literally family dynamics, yes. family against family and you know, and then it ripples out, and then there's the revenge, and get into the whole cycle of revenge and hate and violence, and it never heals anything, and it just repeats the cycle. Very much so. Um, restorative justice, because hurt people hurt people, you hurt me, well, then I have to take the Barbie doll and rip her head off, and then you've got to find a way to, to, to one-up that one, um, and that just escalates that conflict. When we talk about restorative justice, when you hurt me, instead of ripping Barbie's head off, <laughs> to use your example, I say, hey, what's going on for you? What, what happened that you, what was going on for you that you felt like you needed to lash out at me? Can we talk about this? Um, so that we find out what's going on for that other person and be able to deal with that and try to help them cope, try to help them um, uh, heal from the harm that's already been done to them, and then I don't have to hurt them back and we can move forward in, in relationship. Excellent, excellent. So, share, give us a little bit of a personal story now. This is this this whole concept hits home to you in a very personal way. It it does. And if I can do this, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a picture. How's that? Okay. You want me to hold that for me? Please. Yeah. Um, I hope you can see this from where you are. Um, I want to show you a picture. And. <laughs> yes. So if we hold it this way, as this side saw, you'll see a horse, right? Can everyone see the horse in that picture? If I turn it just a quarter or turn this way, can everyone see the frog in that picture? Okay. What does this tell us? Perspective? Yes. Why is this important? If you only see one thing, you make a decision on that if you don't see the whole thing. Okay, so when they were starting to say horse and you knew it was a frog, 
you were kind of raising your eyebrows at them thinking, hmm? And then when you heard they were saying frog and you were like, you obviously saw the horse, didn't it cause you to question something differently? Perspective, the, the, the way that we see things is important. Um, Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, says sometimes the way we see the problem is the problem, right? And so if we only see things one way um, and are not open to another person's point of view, sometimes we can be wrong, even though we're right. <laughs> this shows me that two people can see the exact same thing, black lines on a white page, and interpret them totally differently, and yet both of them be right. When we look at restorative justice, oftentimes we hear one story and we're thinking, boy, you were wrong, they, sh they shouldn't have done that to you and, and, and you're the, the victim in this case, you're the person that's been harmed. And then we hear the other story and think, you're the person that was wronged and you were wrong, uh, harmed and, and they shouldn't have done that to you. Because sometimes both perspectives can be right. Both perspectives can be the way that they see the, the, the object. And until they see both of those, they don't get what the other side's seeing. So when I walked in here this morning, each of you had a first impression of who I was. Um, you met me maybe out front, you saw me here for the first time, and each of you had kind of a first impression. Um, anybody wanna share what that first impression was? <laughs> I won't be upset with anybody. <laughs> helpful. Helpful? What, what said helpful about yeah. This <laughs> present. I helped you with the plants. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? You're wearing all black, so it looks kind of overly serious. Overly serious. Okay. I usually wear a shirt and tie, and I didn't do that today. But if I would have been dressed in a shirt and tie, and I walk into prison, a lot of times they say, "You look like a detective, or you look like a lawyer, or a case manager, or somebody else." Right. Um, so it surprises them when I say. Um, you're only seeing half the picture. Um, restorative justice is personal to me because when I first read the little book of restorative justice by Howard Zare, um, I was sitting in a prison cell. I had done 14 years and I ended up doing a little over 20 years inside. And I learned about restorative justice and about how healing could occur for harms that were done. I harmed people. I don't know how to repair that and make that right. I can't. And so I'm searching for how do I repair harm that I've caused? How do I try to be in communion with people who don't want anything to do with me because of the harm that I've caused? How do I restore community for people who see me one way instead of another? I was with someone who um, caused severe harm to other people. And because of that, I got the same sentences they did. 75 years to life, five life sentences. That drives my work in restorative justice every day. When I walk into the prisons and look at people, I don't see them as a horse. Sometimes I see what's wrong. And I know where they're coming from. And I know that this Old Testament concept, this biblical testament concept of, of justice 
is what we need to go back to. This, this idea of making things right, not making things worse. Because that's the only thing that's going to heal these people. Justice equals punishment in our current legal system. And we think if people are punished, um, that's justice. I know people that have done more than 20 years in prison that have never once had to answer for what they've done. They did time, but they've not had to be accountable for their actions. And I think biblically, God calls us to be accountable, right? That's the way that we can reconcile things. And so by implementing a restorative process, a restorative justice concept that brings people so that they see healing, justice equals healing. If we can heal people, that breaks that cycle of violence, mm -hmm. right? You hurt me, I try to help you heal, I don't have to continue to hurt, and you don't have to continue to hurt. That's the only way to break that cycle of violence. So we work in the prison systems, in the schools, in the community, to be able to try to do that. And my, my mission, myself, is to find ways to be able to help people heal. Um, try to offer healing to those that I've harmed in where I've been. And so, um, as, a, as a community of believers, as a, a community um, of people who have both caused harm and been harmed, because often those lines are blurred, mm -hmm. often the person who has harmed becomes the person who then causes harm, and both of those go back and forth. Um, we need healing, and, and restorative justice is the way to get that. Thank you, Greg. Beautiful. Um, when I first heard about this and started diving into it, I thought, wow, what a beautiful way to implement some of, I think, the deepest, richest contexts of, of what Jesus would advocate for. You know, you think about Jesus, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. Uh, if you're in worship and you remember somebody has something against you, go and be reconciled. And then, and so there's this, there's this beautiful vision that the prophets had and that I think Jesus picked up on for um, restoration and reconciliation. Uh, and, and forgiveness works its way into those as we work through these things, right? It's amazing how people's hearts can melt once you do the, do the hard work of listening uh, taking responsibility, making amends, and, uh, and, and going through a process like this. So we as Jesus followers get to participate in this, in our family settings, in our work settings, in our community settings. And how, how can, if people are interested in CCR, how can they connect with you? Let's just kind of leave, because sure. I'm sure you, you have a volunteers. And, we do. Yeah. Um, uh, CCRKC.org.org ccrkc.org is our website so you can find more information there phone numbers and everything else and i'll be out in the lobby for a minute if if anybody wants to get more information but um yeah we're one of of um, several groups across the country this is a, a larger movement than just ccr but mm -hmm. um movements across the country to bring restorative practices into into the united states excellent thank you let's give greg a round Sam, I'm going to invite you on up. Um, Sam is going to just uh, lead us in a time of reflection. Uh, you might be thinking, maybe, maybe it strikes home with you because maybe there's somebody you're thinking, man, I've got this relationship and there's some harm or damage there and I need to, I need to at least attempt to make it right. 
need to attempt to make some amends or some restitution. Or maybe you're sitting there with some harm and some hurt in your heart, and uh, you don't know where to go with that. Uh, we invite you just to give that to God and to just uh, allow God to love you and to heal your heart. And certainly that pathway weaves itself through forgiveness, through restoration, and through some of these concepts that we've been talking about. So let's just reflect on it. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.